everybody. Welcome back to Looking for the Real God. This is Christy Lynn Wood. This week, we are picking up where we left off, asking the question, how did we get here? How did we end up with these Christian systems that are so abusive? And today we'll be talking about unity and gossip. So last week, we talked about power versus authority. What is true biblical authority, and how does that differentiate from people who just want power and yet call it biblical? We talked about Rachel Denhollander and the article that I read about her talking about the ways that these systems become abusive, and she pointed out the exact same three things that I wanted to start with anyway. And last week, we talked about authority how a misunderstanding of authority can really just screw up our ability to think for ourselves, to act for ourselves, and it allows these people who want power to come in and take that power and then create these abusive systems within our Christianity, whether it's churches, organizations, whether they're just spiritual leaders somewhere, whether it's youth groups, it could be anywhere. And I've been asking the question lately, just how do we get here? How are we at this place where it's so common for us to find out that these Christian leaders are engaging in these sinful activities and have been for such a long time? The Ravi Zacharias just revelation really has just thrown a lot of people just for a loop. Maybe this is the first time they've ever really experienced this kind of stuff within their Christianity. And we're all asking these questions. How did we get here? What happened? And so I'm going to be talking about that for the next few weeks. As I look back at my own cultic experiences, my own experiences within regular Christianity, and then as I just look at just some other books and articles and stuff like that. So today we're going to talk about unity and gossip. These are the next two topics that Rachel pointed out that I was already thinking about. Because when you're in a system where somebody wants power and is abusing, whether it's sexual or just emotional, psychological, spiritual, whatever, these are two things that they use to keep that power that they have. As they decide that they have the authority, they twist the definition of authority, and then they use these two things. They call for unity, and they shut down gossip. So before we start, let's look back a little bit at this authority thing. When I was looking up the verses for my notes of my podcast last week, and I was trying to find the exact reference for the story of David that I was talking about, I actually came across Psalms 105.15. And that's actually where it says, touch not my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. And I was like, ooh, it's in here, here, like this too. And it's still David. And so I was just curious, what was the context of that? Well, if you look at the whole Psalm, Psalm 105 is kind of a explanation of the way God just brought Israel right along from Abraham and Jacob and Joseph, all the way through Moses, the children of Israel. And it kind of just explains how God has just been taking care of them. And it's super interesting to me because he's talking in Psalms 105, the beginning of it, about how Abraham and Joseph, Jacob, they were just kind of like wandering around in the wilderness. And it says, while they were doing all this, God was protecting them. He was stopping the nations. And then it quotes God saying, Touch not my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. But if you look up the little letter there and reference it, it's actually referring to the times in Genesis when 
God stopped the different kings from assaulting Sarah. So Abraham gets scared. He lets his wife go into different harems. This happens twice. And God comes and just shuts it down. It's like, "Uh uh-uh, don't touch her. So that's the real context. And once again, we can't just grab that phrase and pull it out of context and say, this person's been anointed by God and therefore you can't question them. That is just baloney and so terrible. So there you go. So as we jump into unity, what is the true definition of unity? Well, I looked it up and it says being united or joined as a whole and oneness. It's focusing on this being united as a whole in oneness. Well, that reminds me of some of Paul's letters. So I went ahead and looked them up. And first of all, in Ephesians 4, Paul is speaking to this church in Ephesus and he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with gentleness and humility, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So he's bringing us to this oneness. He's saying we can be one. But it gets even better because I love what I found in Galatians. In Galatians, Paul is talking to this church and he goes even farther. And he tells them in Galatians 3, 26 to 28, he says, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, that's pretty huge because he's basically saying you're all the same. There's no differentiation. There's no status. There's no significance difference. You are all one in Christ. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, doesn't matter. Whether you are a slave or free, doesn't matter. Whether you are male or female, it does not matter. You all are one now in Christ. So that's true unity. Now, the problem is, if you've ever experienced this definition of unity in the false context, then you know that's not at all what unity is talking about. Because it's more like this idea of usually your leader who's looking for power and holding on to his power and keep his power or her power um, just wants everyone to agree and never push back at anything. So they don't just want them to agree together. They want them to agree with them. So I'm the one in charge. I have all the good ideas. I'm right all the time. And in order to have unity, you must all agree with me. And that's supposed unity. They want you to ignore the issues. They want you to ignore the problems. Do not acknowledge them. Do not look at them. They don't exist. We're all going to be unified. And people usually call for unity almost in an attempt to stop people from looking for truth. So it's almost like this manipulation technique where they want us to all be unified But they're not focusing on the things that truly unify us, which is Jesus Christ, our relationship with God, the fact that we have access to God again because of Jesus. That's the great unifier. But no, in an abusive system, it's not about that. It's about unity with that leader. I am in charge. Do not question me. Do not push back and do not go looking for truth. I know I've been here. I've experienced this. It's not fun. This is the kind of system where abuse just thrives because when you have people who are afraid, and they are trying to do the right thing, and usually there's so much fear involved in this kind of an abusive system, they're not going to go against that. But if you do go against it, it's very likely that you will get called out for gossip. 
So once again, real definition of gossip. What does gossip mean? I looked it up. It's a casual or unconstrained conversation or report about other people, typically involving details that are not confirmed as true. So it's like this casual, kind of like unconstrained, like we're just talking and suddenly you realize, wow, I probably should not be saying this stuff about these people because who knows if it's actually true or not. Or maybe you're just enjoying this conversation where you're like getting details and feeling like you're a part of things. Like that's more gossip. It's telling secret information to other people. It's someone who reveals personal information about others. So it's you're telling this personal secret information that you have that you should just be keeping for yourself. You're telling it to other people. I think the really interesting thing about gossip and the way gossip gets presented in abusive systems is that true gossip is about intent. And so often when somebody is gossiping, sharing secret information, looking for secret information, like you're not really sure if this is confirmed or not, but oh my gosh, did you hear? There's not necessarily the maliciousness involved at all, but sometimes there is. But it's almost like this, I'm looking for information to feel better for myself. Like I'm trying to feel better or... I am just enjoying this. It's so much fun to hear all this information, that kind of stuff. It's so different from when you're actually trying to share information about something that is messed up. So if you're just sharing personal information for no reason, like that's not okay. But when there's something that's messed up that is happening, if there is abuse, if there is just unethical behaviors happening, if there are things that you are concerned about and you're sharing that, that is different. That is a different intent. Oftentimes, when people get shut down for quote-unquote gossiping in these kinds of abusive systems, they're just trying to find help. Like, they're just, they don't know what's going on. They're like, I don't think this is right. I don't think this is okay. And they're not just casually, unconstrainedly sharing personal information. There's this, like, deeper motive of, like, something is wrong here. We got to figure this out. But that gets shut down in this kind of a system. You do not gossip. Ever. And once you've noticed the problem and you're trying to do something about the problem, now you become the problem. And I read this in both books that I shared last week, both in The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse and in The When Narcissism Comes to Church. This is something that is just documented within these abusive systems. They do not want you talking about it because they do not want to lose their sense of power or the fact that they might be wrong. Not okay. So my leader created this entire teaching based on Matthew 18 in our organization where you could not bring a false report, basically. This idea of like, these are the steps to follow in order to actually speak truth about something. But he made so many steps and so many things. And like you, there was just this bad idea of you couldn't give a, a negative report. A bad report was a bad thing. So you could only speak good things about people, even if they were doing bad things. It was this whole system that he created so that he could protect himself because he was doing all kinds of horrible things. And so people found out about it, but they weren't at liberty to say anything because of this whole teaching of do not giving a bad report. That's just an extreme example of what happens. But when you have a culture, whether it's in your church or your organization or whatever, where unity is pushed, but it doesn't really mean unity, it means agree with me, and where gossip is just banned. Anything that's talking about anything is banned. That is not a healthy system. I was thinking about Jesus. And how does this relate to Jesus? Jesus got people saying horrible things about him all the time. 
I mean, if you read through the Gospels, he's constantly having people say awful things about him. And it does not seem to phase him, like ever. I don't ever see him calling them out and saying, don't talk like that about me. You know, that's not who I am. He never defends himself. He's never phased by it. That's because it's not true. He knows it's not true. He knows he has nothing to hide. And so people who are doing the right thing and living with authenticity and honor and integrity, they are not going to have that same reaction to anything that might look like gossip because they don't have anything to hide. They're like, oh, that's funny. Well, they're wrong. But people who are living a double life, who are unethical in what they're doing, who are being abusive, who have things to hide, they're going to care. They're going to care a lot when that kind of stuff comes out because they do not want people to know that they are doing this. And so that that's not okay. It's like a red flag. What would it look like in our churches? I said this last time. If we created this culture where we were true about unity, where we accepted differing opinions, where we just stuck to the cores and the creeds of the faith, we were allowed to just have conversations and questions and wonderings. What would it look like if we weren't elevating one or two or three people so high to this place of making them these powerful leaders? And what if we were willing to reach down and bring up the lowly? What if we listened to people who have things to share? What if we listened to the broken people? What if we were quicker to believe the victims and much less quick to defend the perpetrators? We have created this culture that's not healthy. And that's why these things keep happening over and over again, because people who are perpetrators, they know. And the people who are victims, they know they're not safe, that they can't come forward and share because they're just going to be blamed or excused or whatever. And these people who are in leadership are going to continue to thrive. It's not okay. It's not healthy. and It's not what Jesus was. And so as we look at this whole thing again, we have to go back to this awkward place of confronting this. Because this is not a popular thing within our Christian cultures. We don't want to actually face the issues that we have. We don't want to actually face the problems. When I told that story last time about what if there was this body in the foyer and everyone's like, ooh, awkward, make it go away. Like that's what happens so often within Christianity. People stick their head in the sand. They ignore, they give way too much grace to perpetrators. Well, we were all sinners, you know, we all mess up. But well, for one step, that could be me. No, no. No, it's okay to call sin, sin, and to say, no, that's wrong. That's wrong, and you cannot do that. And it's good and gracious and like Jesus to give grace to the victims, not to blame them for coming forward, not to put any of the pressure on them, but just to say, I am so sorry that happened to you. Like, show me how we can, what can we do to make this never happen again? How can we hold hands with these victims? And how can we go ahead and put judgment on the perpetrators? It's okay to be like that. It's okay. That was Jesus. Have you read the Gospels? That was Jesus. The only people he ever got mad at were the religious Pharisees who were trying to force people to follow their many rules that were not from God. Those were the people that he got angry with. And yet he loved and welcomed and healed the sinners and the broken. We're going to keep talking about this. These are difficult but necessary conversations to have. The church cannot keep turning around and looking the other way. We must open our eyes. We must repent. We must acknowledge the places that we've screwed up. And we must step forward into a new way, into this awkward way of grace and truth. We can do it. 
because the church is made up of people like you and me. We are the church. Thanks for listening, guys. And until next time, keep searching. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would love to have you join me over on my website at christylynnwood.com. For more content, free resources, and opportunities to connect with a community of people who are looking for the real God.